Hey, I'm Pastor Chris, and the teaching or conversation that you're about to hear is from the student ministry at Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. If you have any questions or you'd like to get into contact with us, please visit us on our website at cedarcrest.church forward slash students. Now I pray that God would use this resource to richly bless you in your walk with Him. Hey, Cedar Crest family. It is Billy Freeman. I am excited to be here with you. Although the circumstances are a little bit different, thankfully we do have technology, but it is a little bit odd to be here and not see any of you in front of me, but just have a camera and Chris here in the room with me. Uh, But know that we are praying for you, we love you, and we hope you are safe and well during this time. Um, This evening, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to James chapter 4. Uh, We will be continuing our study in James today. We'll be in James chapter 4. We'll be continuing on in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So open your Bible, please, to James chapter 4. We'll be in verses 13 through 17. I'll read read those verses for us, and then we'll go ahead and pray uh, before we get started. This is uh, what James says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you so much for the technology and the resources that we have to continue to still minister to the youth. Father, I ask now that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. This is your very word. I ask that you would eliminate distractions and help us to focus on what you have to say today. Lord, anything that I say that is not of you, I pray would simply go away, and that through your Holy Spirit, you would work through me into the hearts of those who hear this message. Lord, would you exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, through this. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. It was fate, for after all, I ought to have won the battle. Those were the famous words written by French ruler Napoleon Bonaparte after the famous Battle of Waterloo. The great French military had just fallen to a coalition of British, German, Dutch, Belgian, and Prussian forces on June 18, 1815. As a result of the defeat, Napoleon was removed from the French throne and he retreated away to an island off the South Atlantic. Since then, the brilliant strategy and leadership of Napoleon has been a marvel in in many ways to historians, military leaders and strategists, business leaders and others of the like over the years. During his predominant reign, you could say Napoleon was not only this great ruler of France, but he lived by a mantra and a way of life that some historians might call arrogant or presumptuous. He got big-headed. He was not only ruler of France, but he certainly, and we could certainly say, he was the ruler and controller of his life. Now, I wonder if that's often how you might find yourself going about life. 
following mantras like, if you want it, get it. You can have anything you want in life. You are the captain of your own soul. Other mantras and things out there that you might hear is, our intentions create our own reality. Finally, there's another one. Things don't happen to me, they happen for me. Your life has everything to do with what you allow. You're the captain of your soul. You control your destiny. So as followers of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is this the way we're to approach life? Are these mantras or slogans the things to live by, to get ahead in life? Well, as we look further into James chapter 4, there are four points that will structure our time together this evening that I hope will answer these questions. If you're a note taker, there's four points uh, I'll highlight for you. If you miss them, I will go through them as we go through each of the points as well. First is the rebuke. Second is the reliance. Third is the root. And fourth is the reminder. Let's look at verses 13 through 14 for point number one, the rebuke. I'll read it for us again. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James begins with a come now statement. It's really James's way of trying to grasp their attention. There's a change and shift here in chapter 4 where James is saying, listen here or listen up. Perhaps you've had a teacher say that to you abruptly at some point as you were a student trying to get your attention. To give you some further context, James is referring here to the you as businessmen or women at the time who traded and were successful in those endeavors. They were the folks who would travel from town to town or we could say hotspot to hotspot to trade goods and to support themselves. Now allow me to interject a point here. I want to make something very clear. James is not rebuking in this rebuke the wisdom of organizing your day, of setting goals, developing plans, or things of the like. We know in Proverbs you reap what you sow, so there's a connection to working and planning and to a benefit or a reward. Nor is James rebuking business or even being successful in business. Those are all God-ordained things that James is not rebuking. But here is what he is saying. The problem that James is addressing is that these business folks of this time made plans and were confident in the outcomes without any regard to God and his providence or will. So to further clarify, as a key point if you're a note taker, James is rebuking the foolishness of self-sufficiency or self-reliance and a disregard for God and his will. They simply are not including God in any of their plans or anything. Let's take a further look to help clarify that point as well. Let's look at the language again in verse 14. We, verse 13, excuse me. We will go into town. We will spend a year there. We will trade there. And we will make a profit there. Do you see it? The material possessions, success, money, accomplishments of these businessmen and women had caused a reliance and self-confidence, not in God, but in themselves. We as Christians can do this, can't we, sometimes? While perhaps we don't have any apparent evidence that that might be happening in our lives, we can exclude him from our plans. An example I know from my life is, ashamedly, as I prepare to teach the Word of God, how often I find myself in self-reliance, distracted with just 
keeping myself busy with planning, preparing, reading and studying, and how often I find myself not seeking the Lord in prayer and needing to rely upon the help of His Holy Spirit through it. Or as these well-to-do business people in the church were doing, they were not relying upon the law of the Lord, but were presuming a self-type of theism. They were their own gods, and they were living by their very own law. So I'll ask you another question. Is this how you find yourself going about your life? Relying upon your accomplishments in school, other, other activities? Do you rely on your own wisdom and your own understanding? Your own successes? Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? James then reminds these presumptuous individuals by saying in verse 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What James is doing here is he's lending the idea of the frailty of life, the fragility of life, and the uncertainty of human plans. He's saying your life is a mist. It comes and goes at the blink of an eye or a snap of a finger. You may not think it now, but ask any youth leader, parent, or adult, and they, they will agree. Our lives fly by. How often have you heard a parent or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle say, you have grown up so fast. We are brought into this world and disappear just as quickly as the morning sun evaporates the mist that James was referring to. Or if you've been outside and it's a cold day and you breathe the air out of your mouth and you briefly see your breath and then it vanishes. This is what the Bible shows us about our life and the brevity of it. I'll also ask you, how many people do you think would have predicted a major pandemic to hit our world and take hundreds of thousands of lives? I can tell you that many who have contracted the virus and survived, or unfortunately those who have passed away, certainly did not expect things to transpire this quickly and so abruptly in their lives. So how should we respond to that? Moses recorded this in Psalm 90. He asked God to teach him to number his days that he may get a heart of wisdom. There is a link to understanding the shortness of life and wisdom here. And as I think back to a recent and unfortunate passing in my family in which we are still grieving, I'm reminded that the grave is a valuable teacher. Because of sin, everyone will pass away one day and we all have an expiration date. I'll close with this last example. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, I'll read them for you. We have a, the parable of the rich fool who, uh, who was a man who had an abundance of crops. And he says to himself this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. While we certainly see an aspect of stewardship here, friends, we're not to presume upon God and the events that will happen in our lives. That will take us to point number two. If we look at verse 15, the reliance. The reliance in verse 15. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is now transitioning from a, a negative, so to speak, to a positive. He shifts our attention from the temporal, the things of this world, to the eternal. There's more to the dealings of this world than what we sell or what they were selling back in the day. The money we make or the accomplishments that we have. James reminds us that everything is contingent upon the Lord. It is God who is not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer of our lives. He created the world we live in, and he continues to sustain it and us. So the key point is this. How do we have this posture or this, this mindset, so to speak, that James is referring to? It comes from a posture of our heart for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. If we look at Ephesians 6, 6, Paul says that as bondservants or slaves of Christ, we are to do the will of God from the heart. Now, allow me to make another point of clarification here. Uh, there might be some smarty pants in the room that might be saying, as the Lord wills after every single sentence that they use. All jokes aside, we know that that's not the case. Certainly, that is a saying that we should evoke in our lives and we want to have in our language. But it's really, truly supposed to be a heart posture, a posture of heart that involves God into your plans in life in which you are trusting in him and his direction in your life as you seek to obey him. We need not look any further than Jesus Christ for this. The Lord's Prayer is a perfect example. Jesus instructed his disciples to say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul was also exemplary of this in his letters to the churches and was often recorded as saying of his desires to see them or come back to them, if the Lord wills. Paul had a heart for God's will and direction in his life that resulted in a humble submission to God and his word. This is the key mark of a believer, a submission and a humbleness to God and his word. So as you go about your life, I want to challenge you to seek God's will for you with an open heart. As you study his word and seek to obey him, he will direct your path. Two verses come to mind here. The first is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. We've heard Pastor Chris talk about this before. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So friends, when our hearts and desires are set upon seeking him and his kingdom first, when we seek his desires, we start to see that he helps us, and now our desires become his. And we begin to want what he wants. His word shows us that he will grant us that. But there's also a result here. There's a result to this reliance upon God and a submission to his will in his life. We have salvation when we submit to God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have salvation and eternal life. We have blessing. We have joy. We have happiness. Now we have a true meaning in our lives. So I want to say this. Our greatest good is being obedient to God and his will. God is not some cosmic killjoy out to make life miserable for us. He wants what's best for his children. We, when we are outside of his will, 
We are not having our best. We are not getting our greatest joy in our lives. Well, it may seem so temporarily. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So to summarize this point and make it a little bit more clear, John MacArthur puts it this way for discerning the will of God for your life. God first desires you to be saved. The first thing to be in obedience to God's will is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God then desires you to be spirit-filled. This is something that as a believer, you are gifted with the Holy Spirit. God desires you to be sanctified and pure. He desires you to be submissive, submissive to those in your life, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, your youth leaders, submissive to authorities, the government during this time. And through all of that, there's also going to be suffering for his sake. In other words, what he's saying is, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill yourselves with his word. Saturate and fill your mind with his word. Live a holy and pure life, separate from the things of this world, submitting rightly to authority, and be prepared to suffer for doing it. I'll also say this, Alistair Begg, a pastor in, in Ohio, said the Bible can be so helpful if we just read it. So I encourage you, be in his word. Fill yourself with his word. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will help align your heart with his. So that takes us to now to point number three, the root. The root, let's look in verse 16. Paul, uh, James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James is now transitioning in verse 16 back to the root and is very clear and practical in his explanation. That's one of the great things about this book is he is very clear and practical in what James is trying to say as to how we can live the Christian life. They boast out of their arrogance and that's evil. This boasting we could say is bragging. It's to put your confidence in something. This type of boasting again is rooted in an arrogance. This verse provides further light and clarity on verse 13, which if you read it for the first time, perhaps you might not have seen like it was much of an issue at first glance based on what they were saying. But in the context now of verse 16, not only did these businessmen during this time, businessmen and women, leave out God out of their plans, our friends in the business world were also boasting in their self-confidence and their dependence. That's the heart of this. And the heart issue like this is inconsistent with the Christian life. Allow me to say it again. Our dependence is on God and His directing our lives. So a key point here is this. A self-sufficiency is ultimately connect connected to a heart issue of arrogance, of pride, self-reliance on ourselves. But how different is our Lord Jesus Christ from these well-to-do who arrogantly suppose that they can act and think without reference to God or eternity. Ponder with me on a few of these thoughts. Jesus humbly entered the world that he created. He lived a perfect life in obedience to God the Father. He did not have a home or many possessions. He leaned heavily upon the guidance of God the Father on his life, often by retreating in private to prayer. He suffered selflessly to the will of God for sinners who spit on him and mocked him. That's you and I. He suffered even to the point of death. 
So do you see the terrible tragedy and wickedness of sin in our lives and our hearts? Our heart posture needs to be submission to the Lord and his will. That'll take us finally to point number four. Point number four is the reminder. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now this may appear at first to be an odd way for James to conclude his point on this subject. If you were like me, that was my first reaction. But as you consider the text further, we see that James, in consideration of everything he said in verses 13 and 16, that we can sin not only by what we do, but also by what we don't do. This is called the sin of omission. It's not doing something that God commands us to do. Perhaps in your prayer life, um, when you are coming before the Lord to confess your sins, you find yourself saying, Lord, forgive me, I did not do this, I did not do that, or I didn't do the other. Or I did this, I did that, I did the other. But how often do you find yourself perhaps confessing before God or reflecting on what you didn't do? Perhaps how you're stewarding the possessions and things that you have. Have you missed an opportunity to witness to somebody perhaps where there was an open door? Those are some things of sin of omission that James is speaking to. We could also say that James is speaking of someone who may know God, know his providence and care. They're aware of their own finite being, the frailty of their life. They know their need to trust and rely upon God, but yet they do not act that way. This is the sin that we're looking at here. This is a sort of practical atheism in some ways. We know the right thing to do, but we do not do it. We remember, and as we study James here, we won't not only want to be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. It was fate, for after all, I ought to have won the battle. Again, those were the famous words written by French ruler Napoleon Bonaparte after the, the Battle of Waterloo. And these are the worlds often of the unbelieving world as well, right? But Napoleon was wrong. It was not fate or himself, but it was the almighty, sovereign, providential God who was in control and ordained even the defeat of France that day. King Napoleon was wrong, but King David was correct when he said this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Some final remarks here. The Christian submits his or her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Pride and arrogance is a disregard to the sovereign will of God. As we saw two weeks ago in James chapter 4, verse 6, just a, a few verses ahead, it says, But he, meaning God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, as we pursue the days ahead of us, let's humble ourselves before the Lord and submit to